Welcome to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast, where we explore perceptions. How self-reflecting questions can give you a better understanding of self. I'm your host, Sonia Iris Lozada. Stay tuned. Alex Greenwood is an award-winning writer, public relations consultant, podcaster, speaker, and former journalist. He is best known as the author of the John Pilot Mysteries and host and producer of the Mysterious Goings-On podcast and the PR After Hours podcast. Alex has recorded hundreds of hours of podcasts and made hundreds of appearances on TV, radio, podcast webinars, and at conferences. Welcome. This week's episode, we have Alex Greenwood, who is an award-winning writer of mysteries. Welcome. How are you? I'm doing great, Sonia. How are you? I'm doing great. For those of you that don't know, I was on Alex's podcast, and we had so much fun on the podcast that I had to have him on my podcast. And we're going to cover like the soul of mystery, because as a writer... A lot of it comes from within you, like a passion or a drawing to it. What made you go into mysteries? What made me go into mysteries, though? That's a good question. I've always enjoyed mysteries uh, since I was little. I've enjoyed them. I've I've enjoyed the aesthetic. I blame blame the Late Late Show when I was uh, 11 or 12, when I would stay up late. We We had a large family in a small house, so I would wait till everybody else was asleep just to have some time to myself. And one of the things I would do is watch the Late Late Show. And where I lived, Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, yes, that mm-hmm. great cosmopolitan uh, <laughs> place, uh, they had the Late Late Show. They had the Thin Man series, which was based on Dashiell Hammett's mystery books. And I, <laughs> this is so funny, my first crush was on Myrna Loy. <laughs> <laughs> I love that series. I used to be so addicted to the Thin Man series. It's so great. And I always wanted, you know, I always thought, well, if I ever got around to writing my own thing, I wanted it to be like that, where there was a mystery. But the mystery, to me, is almost almost ancillary to what's going on, because it's really more about this great couple, these characters who get along so well together, and they have fun, and, and, the, and the dialogue is just, just back and forth, back and forth, and really good. So that, that's what I always wanted to do. But I, I've always been attracted to the mysteries um, within ourselves. And I think that a, I think that a good mystery novel, a good thriller, even, is often uh, a metaphor for the mystery within ourselves, the mystery within our own hearts. And that's one thing I like to explore in my series, the John Pilot Mysteries. Is uh, there are mysteries? Nobody has told me that they were the toughest thing to figure out before the end. They've never said that. But what they've always said was they were very attracted to the characters and the way they're exploring, as I said, the mysteries within their own hearts. Um, they're looking into the mysteries of uh, damage done in their lives to them and how they uh, get through life with those scars in place. And so I think that's one of the major things that attracted me to mysteries. That and they're just fun, you know. I love reading mysteries. I just don't know how to write mysteries. It To me, it seems like you have to be, there's a web you weave that, you know, to take someone on a ride and I don't, that's something that's difficult for me to do as a writer. I could be very blunt and just tell you what <laughs> what's going on. But I find it fascinating to be able to write mysteries. There is an art to it in the sense that, yeah, you've got, you've got to leave this trail of breadcrumbs 
for the reader all the way. And you've got to have little, and when you do a series, you, you, beyond the breadcrumbs, if I could torch the metaphor a little further, you have to have little Easter eggs to, to call back to previous books without making them critical to somebody who just picked up, say, book seven of my series and wants to enjoy it. You know, nothing worse than getting in the middle of a series and, and that, that tells you you don't have to read the previous six, but you get into it and you realize, I need to read the previous six. So I have to really work on that, right? So, but this trail of breadcrumbs, like right now, I'm, in, I'm finishing up book eight, but it's almost, it's about two more weeks, it's going to my editor. And what I've been doing now is going back through it and making sure that the outcome is properly, um, not telegraphed, but there's, there, the reader has to, when they're finished, have to look back and go, oh, okay, I remember that guy did that thing with the other thing, and she did the thing, right? Yeah, now mm -hmm. I get that. You've got to do that. To me, though, that's how I have to do it, Sonia. I have to, I just have to get, I always say this, get the clay on the table, and then I start shaping it like a sculptor would, and then by the time I'm done with my, my kind of hideous, uh, bust of somebody, then I realize, okay, now I have to go back and really make that bust pretty. So I have to go back and, and say, okay, and drop little breadcrumbs, as I said, and, and then and then for fun, for the readers who are with me and loyal to the series, make sure the Easter eggs are there for, the, for fan service too. Right, because you have to service the, your previous readers, because I find that in general, like in life, it seems like everybody goes for the new reader or the new thing or new customers or and they just forget about their fan base. They do nothing for them. I feel businesses run that way. So for you to leave those little breadcrumbs for the readers that have been with you for so long, I think it's a wonderful thing. Do you want to discuss how you came into writing the series? I can if you'd like. Sure. Yes. I, uh, I'll try and keep this, this story short. And uh, any of my crossover listeners from uh, Mysterious Goings On, where we first met you, Sonia, mm -hmm. um, who, by the way, just, and I, I mean this sincerely, I, I feel like you and I became friends on that yes. little hour together. <laughs> and I'm very flattered to be here with you on this. And I've been looking forward to this for weeks. So, so yeah, ditto. Okay, well. So uh, let me take you on a quick story here. Ugh, okay, Alex, make it quick. Okay, my editor's not here, so I'll do my best. All right. Um, <laughs> I, I mentioned that I spent about, about the first 34, 35 years of my life in Oklahoma City, more or less. And long story short, I was leaving to take a job in Nebraska, and it was at a very tiny, um, it was the oldest college in Nebraska, very tiny. I mean, less than a thousand, fewer than a thousand students. I was going to be director of marketing and PR, and I went up there. Okay. I get up there, it's going great. It's it's a culture shock, even though Oklahoma City is not exactly LA, it's way bigger than a thousand people. It's you know, it's about yeah. a half a million people. I get there and one day I go into my office and there's this big fat manila envelope on the desk. I mean, just really stuffed. And I open it up and there's a little sticky note on the outside. It's from my boss, the president. I answered directly to the president of the college and he said, We get calls about this from time to time. Be familiar with it. And I'm like, Okay. I pull all this stuff out. Crime scene photos, affidavits of people who witnessed a murder, um, uh, autopsy, all of this stuff, news clippings. Turned out at that time, about 50 years earlier, this college I worked at, Peru State College in uh, Peru, Nebraska, probably the, the site of probably the first, this is dubious, and, and they, they hate me for bringing this up, I know, because <laughs> I used to be the PR guy, but they were probably the first school shooting. Uh, and what happened uh, is that one of their professors who was up for tenure, uh, Barney Baker, uh, was denied tenure. He was apparently a troubled soul, and they just realized that mm, maybe not good for tenure. Let's move mm -hmm. him on. One day he snapped. He he got dressed. He walked across campus. 
He went into his boss, the dean's office, shot him in the head. Then he walked upstairs, calmly passed other people, went to the president's office, shot him in the head, calmly left. Nobody would, he just walked out with the gun in hand. Nobody got near him. He didn't shoot anybody else. He didn't threaten anybody else. He was actually pleasant to other people. Went back to his home and took his own life. Well, wow. Yeah, that's so you, you look at that. And of course, you know, here I am. Oh, here I am, the, the ultimate fish out of water already. Didn't know a soul there. I mean, the closest thing I had to a friend was my boss, who was the president of the school, who, uh, and this is like for another conversation, turned out to not be my friend. But anyway, <laughs> so I, I started, I always just, I went through and read all that stuff, and then I just made a photocopy of everything for myself. And I thought, someday I might want to do something with this. So I tucked it away, and a couple of years later, I left there, and I moved to Kansas City, and I was in my apartment one night, and I just... I am the grandson of a guy who wrote westerns and, and historical fiction for 50 years. And, really? Uh, yeah, my grandpa loved him. And uh, he had passed a few years earlier. And he'd always told me, you're talented. You can write. You should write. And I thought, this is what I'm going to write about. So what I did, I took that incident from 50 years ago at Peru State College, and I fictionalized it. I created a whole new town. Instead of Peru, Nebraska, it's Cross Township. And I changed all the names and I changed stuff up. And the lead character is the guy who came in from a big town to take a job who had just gotten divorced. He, he was broke. He was down on his heels. The whole thing, which is not very imaginative because that's frankly pretty close to where I was. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had him go there and stumble into a mystery. Without giving it away, the book is called Pilot's Cross because his name is John Pilot, like, like Pontius Pilot, the guy who washes mm -hmm. his hands after, you know, after delivering up uh, Jesus to, and all that. Pilot's Cross and Cross Township, but also I viewed it cross as like a crossroads because this is a guy at a crossroads in his life. There's a lot of other little allegorical things. Sharp readers will notice that there's a lot of threes in this book because if you, if you think about the, the biblical, there's threes everywhere in Father, Son, exactly. Holy Ghost. There's all kinds of stuff, right? And he's also technically at kind of a Gethsemane in his life. By the way, and this is not like a big religious book. That's about as far as it goes in religion. Most of the time, most people who meet him confuse his name with Pilates. They think he's an exercise guy. <laughs> That's true. I think they spell the same. They spell exactly the same. There's just no S on it. But if it's apostrophe S, I've seen this all the time. It's, oh, Pilates Cross. Oh, I got to get that book. Pilates Key. Pilates Ghost. I don't understand how that works, but all right. I'm, I'm like, it's, it's Pilates. I was just interviewed by a gentleman in Liverpool a, a couple of weeks ago, and he, he introduced me that way, and he said that. And, and I didn't say a word. I just waited until he said, ask me about, you know, talk to me about your books. And I just said it properly. And then I could see him. He was embarrassed. And I, said, I said, listen, you just help me because every book, there's like at least one person who does that. And it's just the, the lead character just rolls his eyes and just deals with it, you know. So that became the book. And I thought it would just be a one-off book. And that came out, uh, gosh, 12 years ago. But I, people liked it. And I'm not saying I, I sold thousands of copies. I didn't. But enough people in my circle have read it and said, you should keep going. And I thought, you know, I, I like these characters. I want to keep going. So I created the next book, Pilot's Key, which has our hero getting out of the snowy wasteland of Nebraska and going to Key West, Florida. So you, I kind of changed the setting. And then the rest, of, without going too much deeper, the rest of the series alternates between Nebraska and Key West. Because I thought, wow, they're both small towns. Key West is tiny, but millions of people go through there every year. Mm -hmm. Cross Township is tiny, but it's two tiny towns in two different places, and it also reflects the duality of my character, John Pilot, who, and I, I'll have to add one last thing, okay, Sonia, and then I'll stop talking about this, is he, John Pilot has an alter ego, or is it an alter ego, or is it a doppelganger named Simon, who is constantly kibitzing, he's, he might be John Pilot's id, he might be a ghost, who knows, 
You have to read the books and find out. But he is constantly with him and basically saying, you piece of crap, you're not going to get out of this alive. What are you doing? You're stupid. You know, all this stuff. And he's around throughout the entire series as well. So there you go. I, I like the idea of uh, the doppelganger. I can't say the word doppelganger. How do you say doppelganger. it? Doppelganger. 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 Okay. One of those great German words. Doppelganger. Oh, and I, I just love that idea of that as being in two places at the same time. It's fascinating to me. See, I figured you would like that. Yeah, I'm like, oh my God, now I want to go out and buy your books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think, I, you know what? I'm going to send you some, so don't even go by. You sh I, I mean, I'd love you to, but I'll, I got to remember to send these to you, the first first couple. Yeah, there's that. So, and that's the thing, Sonia, that I love about this too, is I, I, I kind of call it a quirky mystery. It's not really a cozy, it is a cozy mystery, just if you had to find a place, but it's mm -hmm. quirky mystery is what I call it. And one thing that I really like about this, and, and that I think this might appeal to you as well, considering how you feel about time. And, and I love that discussion you and I had. And by the way, we should put the link in. I'm telling you how to do your show now. Here we go. You should put the link to your conversation with me in the show notes for this one, because people should hear that. You, what you oh, said no, was that, so that, Oh, no. Okay. I will definitely do that. And you, you could do, do the same with this. I <laughs> will do the exchange because you know what? I have, you're like one of the most favorite people I have met while doing podcasting. <laughs> I got to keep in touch. You know, we got to do more podcasting stuff together. The, the writing and going back to the soul of it, when you read a mystery and you can identify with it, like I love mysteries, but I don't like blood and gut mysteries. I start reading something so violent and I can't. I've had some people ask me if they could be on the show and their book is violent. It's just not me. And it's not what the podcast is about. And even though they were very nice and actually I read some of it, it was very well written, but it just doesn't fit the show. In fact, I think I referred them to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll t I take just about anybody who can spell. Uh <laughs> yeah. Well, this guy really wrote well, so he's probably on your list. It's a good story. Well, there. I mean, there, I'm not going to lie to you. There is some violence just kind of, but mine is probably more on the level of Agatha Christie style, you know, there is a murder, okay, but I don't really go into uh, and guts. gore and 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 I don't I don't luxuriate in in cruelty much. Although I will say this, I will tell you the me confessional time here. It's just you and me here, right? Nobody can hear us. Okay, great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> book three. This is Pilots why I love this guy. It's mutual. Book three, Pilots Ghost. I did this scene. It's protracted, and it's a fight with a guy, our hero, who's not a fighter by any means, but he's literally having to, with his fists, fight for his life. And it goes on so well. I had a reader goes, buddy, what is this? This scene, it's so long and he's fighting. And I said, like, well, I want to explain, you know, how, one, how tired he is and how overmatched he is. And he's like, I think I got it in the first two pages. You know? <laughs> How, well, how long gonna, is it? <laughs> it's pretty long, you know. I'll, you know um, so so I, it's a few pages, but it, I, just to say, but it's also, you know, what it also is, um, Tony. It's just me. It's just me exploring um, the form, and it's exploring writing different styles. Because one thing I like to do, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we talk about the time travel aspects of of everything and things I find so incredibly interesting about what you're doing in your work. But in this series, I got to about book four and i didn't feel another book coming on but i thought there's four there's four books worth of characters who i think are like family to me because i made them but they're like family to me and i thought how about this 
How about I write a book of short stories where I focus not at John Pilate at all. He's mentioned, he's tangential, but I starring the supporting characters, giving them their backstory, maybe their future. And I created, it's called Pilot 7, and it's seven short stories about seven uh, people besides John Pilot, but they're pilots because they're part of his world. Yeah. And I got more acclaim, nomination for an award. I, I got more people telling me that they just thought this is so new and so different to do something like this. But like the last, I think the last story potentially is a potential future for John Pilot, right? But it's told from the perspective. I mean, in the series, he's got a little boy. It's told from the perspective of his little boy being an adult, talking about his father, who's now a recluse somewhere. John really? Pilot is. Yeah. And I guess, but here's the thing. My buddy, Jason McIntyre, great writer. He's out of uh, Canada. He's, he's the, one of the best thriller writers who's not been discovered by mass media yet, but his day will come. Um, he told me, he said, when, he said he's always been a friend and he enjoyed the books. But he said, when he read that, he realized... He said, this is when I realized, you know, you're, you're up there and you can do things. And, she, and it made me feel so good. But do you know why I think that that book works? It's just because I was no longer uh, self-conscious. I decided this is my world I created. I can do whatever I want. If people don't want to read it, they don't have to. And uh, I've tried to keep that with me going forward. Like it used to be, if my, my dear friend Sonia said, if there's violence in it, I'm not going to read it. So then I might censor myself. Even though it might help the story to have a lot of bad, you know, violence in it. Well, I, I'm not going to do that anymore. You know what I'm saying? Going forward, I had an uncle who read the first book and he said, that sex scene was really out of bounds. And I'm like, I didn't think so. But, <laughs> but, but also, but start... what era do they come from? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's a great point. Yeah. And so, so what's, what, and I think if I understand you correctly, it's like, well, whatever my uncle found risque may mean nothing to me, a guy in his early fifties and that. And but what may be violent to you may not be especially violent to me. So there's all those things. So I, I always tell other writers this is just you got to you know it sounds so obvious, but you got to write for yourself. It's like I, it's a lot like what you said about your poetry too. I ask you I think a lot of questions about about that and do you ever kind of I don't remember the exact question. I'm sorry, but it's something along the lines of does it ever make you feel kind of weird or exposed? And you just like well I have no other way to do this basically. And you know and that's how I got into poetry was because, you know, it's subjective, you know, people right off the bat are either going to love it or hate it. There's yeah. very rarely a gray area with poetry. It's so true. I knew that going in. So it's like, well, you know, I just wish I could write long form. Like my next book is going to have short stories in it because I need to, something's telling me to write more. So, Good. and I'm going to go to short stories. I don't have that mind that you have that can do an entire novel to me it's that seems like so overwhelming just to even think about it you, you, so you don't how do you that. deal with that you, you don't know that first of all you haven't really tried to do that what if you started cranking on a short story and it just kept going and going that's how that's true i've done that where i said i'm just gonna write a flash story because i thought that was right up and i ended up writing much more yeah i think that's you, what's gonna happen with you you gotta fill in the blanks more I'm going to be teaching a class and I start out with, okay, let's do a simple line. Like I'm walking down the street. Mm -hmm. That, that means nothing. Right. Right. But visualize yourself walking down the street and then you can feel it and take the mood and create more from that. Right. And so I'm assuming that's what I would have to do to do a novel. Probably. I think too, I think people, I'm trying to reach back to 
I probably was just foolhardy, but I, I could always hear my grandpa talking to me saying, you can do this. You're good at this. You're, you know, I mean, he didn't tell me I'm Hemingway. He just said, you know, this was a guy who wrote mid-list Westerns. I mean, he, you know, he won some awards and he had some good sales, but he wasn't rich and famous, but I didn't care. My grandpa telling me, I think, gave me a lot of the uh, affirmation I needed. But the other part was I just probably didn't know any better. Um, I think I just thought, I just thought to myself, because I'd written back, my degree was kind of in professional writing in college. And I'd written some things then that I look back on now are pretty, pretty sad, but, but you have to go through that. You have to write a lot of, yeah, unfortunately you have to kind of, as Stephen King said, shovel blank from a a sitting position for a long time before you finally get to the, the really good stuff. And that's just the way it goes. But I, what made me think I could do it? I don't know. Other than just, I wanted to do it. I wanted, I, I say this all the time. I'll try anything once. And I'm pretty damn serious about that. I will try just about anything once within reason. And, um, I just thought, well, I told myself, let's see if you got what it takes. And it took me, I would imagine it took me about six or eight months to write my first draft. But one thing I had going for me was that big stack of material that kind of gave me a, a crutch because I could, I could go back to so much stuff there. And I will tell you this, this is, I don't tell many people this, but again, <laughs> nobody's listening but you and me and we're, we're tight, right? Okay. I actually took lines out of affidavits of people who actually witnessed the crimes and made, you know, and made them into dialogue. I took lines that oh. were quoted in newspapers from the clippings and put them in there. Part of me was like, well, that's, that's great. And that helped me move along. But it also helped me speak in the language. Because I moved, I moved the, the killings up to 1963. And I made a parallel. Like, it was like right after JFK was assassinated. This college president was assassinated in my book. So I moved it up by about 15 years or something like that. But the point being, I, reading the affidavits and the news stories, I read how the cadence, how the characters, how people spoke back then. And it really helped me do that because that all took place in the past. And then when the book becomes, when John Pilate shows up, that's, he's there 45 years later or something. So anyway, I'm sorry, I went off on a tangent there, but I- No, no, I, no, this I, is very interesting. I mean, go ahead. Well, I think it was just, it gave me, uh, it gave me a, a crutch probably. And that, and that's, but you know what happened right there, Sonia, when I went from Pilot's Cross and I got that done, and then I decided I'm going to dive into Pilot's Key, pardon the pun, because it's a Key West, I'll dive in. I had been to Key West, and I find it a very strange, interesting, weird place. And I thought, I'll just use a lot of what I picked up on, like, we on vacation there, you know. I did, like, ghost tours, and I, I went to museums, I did all this stuff, and I, I had all of this in my, my data bank and stuff. And, I, of course, the Internet's a blessing to every writer now. You can go back and refresh your memory and find stuff. And But what I loved about that was I really didn't have much of a crutch other than I had a setting that was different. And people were surprised. They thought, I remember a good friend of mine, she said, I really thought when that book came out, she said, I loved it, but I just kind of thought he was just going to be this guy in Nebraska for forever. And and no offense to Nebraskans who are the sweetest people ever. Oh, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> you need to have some variety. And that is because I, I lived in Florida for a while. I went to Key West. And one of the things that I really remember is that the tr- when you're driving down the road, the trees meet in the middle. That's They're right. like bridges. Do you remember? Yeah. And I always <laughs> found that fascinating. I always thought I was going through a tunnel of, of trees because there's so many of them that just touch like over the road. Right. Right. Yeah. It's true. And there's, there's so many, Sonia, there's so many, I, I almost always want to tell people, this is, this is bad. And you, you need to like, tell me to stop it. Okay. Here I go. No. I, I like the first book just fine. It's it, it's very expository, but it's also my first book. So it's my first book. I had a different editor who was okay. Uh, she's great. I'm not, I don't mean she did a bad job. It's just she did the best she could with what I gave her. But don't get me wrong. I like the book and I'm trying not, I'm not down mouthing it, I promise. But 
the second one I just is the one that outsold all the others practically, um, and it's it's just more fun. It's more it's a little more light. But I almost always want to tell people to to start there, um, and then if they really like that book, go back to the first one. Go go from key to cross and all that. Because the thing that I think that I about key that really works for it is it's richly detailed about the setting. Because, um, like you said, you're noticing something right there, right? How the trees do that thing and create mm-hmm. this this arch or this tunnel or. And I mean, I had everything from, you ever heard of Robert the Doll? No. Robert the Doll, um, it's a long story. I won't give you the whole story, but basically it was a hundred years ago. It was a child's toy. And whenever this, uh, whenever something bad happened at the house, he would blame it on Robert the Doll. It was like a, about a three foot tall, cuddly doll, kind of interesting uh-huh. looking with this, in a sailor suit. And he was always Robert. Well, long story short, a lot of stuff, weird stuff happened in the house that, the kid kept referring to the to the doll and seeing the doll did it. And then adults started seeing something later. The kid wasn't even around and the doll would move around. They would, Weird stuff would happen. And the, the legend of, of the doll is, now it's in a museum there. People go see him. If they don't ask his permission for, to take a picture, they don't say, Robert, and I did this. I did this. I said, Robert, may I take your picture? Or Robert, I think you look great. Hi, Robert. I am, I am not saying one bad word about you. All this stuff, because people do, there's a whole wall in the East Martello Museum in Key West of people writing letters begging Robert to let him off the hook, because they ridiculed him, said something nasty about him, said he looked bad, or took his picture without asking his permission. It's a hoot. But think about what a rich tapestry, and you've been to Key West, there's all this yeah. crazy stuff, and Civil War era stuff, and the, the man Count von Kossel, who was so in love about 100 years ago, literally, during the great influenza outbreak, or was it TB? No, it was TB. It was before that. Uh, he was so in love with this young woman. He was an older guy, and he was a little weird. And I mean, she was in like, like 20 or something. And long story short for that is she, she passed away from tuberculosis, and uh, he had married her on her deathbed. She wanted to try and help her family by marrying this guy who had a little few bucks. Well, Let's just put it this way. Um, they put her in the tomb, but she wasn't in the tomb very long. And uh, she was eventually found in the bedroom of the Count, who had made many modifications to the body to make it uh, not only uh, presentable, but also useful for his needs. Wow. And this is a true story? Completely true story. And if you pick up Pilot's Key, like the, the beginning, I kind of touch on that and a couple of other little stories. Uh, and if you don't want to pick up my book, just Google, just Google uh, Key West account. Uh, no, I want to get Kossel. the mystery. I want the mystery behind it. To me, learning about history done in a fictional way has always right. made me research the actual happenings. Me too. Same. Do you do this? Do you, you know, you, you're an actress, of course. Yes. And you, you know the business so much better than us civilians who, who obviously haven't. Even though, you know, I, I've kind of just had my toe in the water briefly kind of on the edge. I was never in LA. You know that. Okay. But most of us, we, I think most people do this thing now. They get out their phone during a show and they'll, they'll, they'll look up IMDB or Wikipedia, <laughs> right? You know, and you know what? You know, I went and checked you out. I've already done that. So anyway, yeah. it's just funny because, but Dude, it's like, I did the same see- thing with you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have an IMDB or a Wikipedia, so you must have been pretty disappointed. But, but what's interesting is I think that, I think that when I'm reading a book and I read something like that too, and I get so excited when I come across a little nugget like that, because that's not what my book's about. That's just me painting, painting the backdrop, right? Just like you'd mentioned the trees, right? I'm just yes. painting the backdrop. Key West is a weird flipping place. That's what I'm trying to say, right? Yes. Um, and, you know, I liken the, 
when he's flying into Key West, he's looking out and seeing all the little tiny little islands and atolls and all that. And he, he kind of likened it to, uh, you know, we had a bad sunburned skin he'd peeled off of, his, off of himself and it looked the same. So anyway, you have to read it. But I, uh, I think that there's a lot of good writers who make it a point to offer something beyond the narrow frame uh, that the characters are living in. I'm, I'm glad that you like that stuff too. I love it. Me too, because you know what? It not only creates the backdrop, it creates the essence of what's going to happen and yeah. why it's there. You're going to go because the atmosphere and everything around you affects the character. Right. You know, they That's come right. out with, you know, it was hot and sweaty and, you know, I had to go through the torture of this or it was so cold that I had and you can feel it and you go on that ride with the character. And that's what I like about setting the the atmosphere, setting the stage for that character. I think so. Yeah, but, you know, one thing I won't do and I and, and I don't do, I don't get overly I'm OK now. This was not saying I'm as good as, but one person said, you've got a kind of a, uh, you, you, you said, you're going for a Hemingway style, aren't you? I said, what do you mean? And he said, your sentences are generally short and to the point, and you don't waste a whole lot of time, like, painting the scene. I'm like, yeah, I try to just get in there and, and I try to whittle the sentences down so they're not overly complex, but like you, but one thing I don't do as part of that style that I'm shooting for, which is just a, it's not a, just the facts, ma'am, style completely, but it's close. I don't go out of my way to describe what people are wearing. To this day, everybody everybody who loves the series or likes the series and we talk about it, um, I always kind of curiously say, well, what actor would play John Pilot in your mind if it was a deal? And everybody has a different actor in mind because I don't tell you what he looks like. You think I do. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, you really, you, you might know that his love interest in one book has blonde hair, brown eyes. Okay. You might know that he's, I think, in the first book, pushing 40. But and he's attractive, apparently, because women flirt with him. But, but that's it, right? And I think the writers who you know are doing the whole J. Crew catalog and you know down to, you know all that. I don't. I would rather have the characters. We talk about the soul of the mystery here. I'd rather have the soul of the character come out, not through what they're wearing, but through what they're saying and what they're doing. To me, that's how the story comes. I, I think when we when we spoke last time, I kind because I know you're working towards you know screen screenplays and things and. I've always tried to kind of write my books in a visual manner, almost like a screenplay. Not quite, but I, I think my books would probably translate okay to a screenplay simply because there's not a whole lot of expository stuff and descriptive stuff. I just, I would rather you read the book and thought, well, of course, now, Sonia, if you read my book, you might look at John Pell and go, well, oh, and you might think he looks like me because, you know, yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. It's funny, but when you read a story... You put your own essence into it. It's like, what would you find attractive? What do you think this is? What do you, you know, you envision what it could be. Like, I've read some stories and then I see the movie. I'm like, wow, that was not at all what I envisioned. Exactly. Hey, do, do you know one thing I get too? Um, <laughs> I, hope they're, hopefully, uh, I, I hope they're not listening, but I'll just tell you. Um, I've, had, I've had a lot of... Um, you know, I'm, I'm very good friends with a lot of my ex-girlfriends. Okay. I, you know, that's, mm -hmm. it's not a big deal. It's, it's okay. And in my world, that's fine. And all that. Every one of them who's read a book is like, come on, tell the truth. That character. It's based on me. Right. <laughs> 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 and you know what I always say, right? How did you know? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is we do borrow from the people we know. I have a one woman show that I have been working on forever and have never released. 
but I hear my mom's voice and it's called the adventures of the yo-yo dieter. And even though I'm a poet and I can get really deep, I have a really weird sense of humor and it's all about me dieting and how diets affect me. I mean, I have one called the cabbage soup diet, which oh. is, yes, we know what that does to your digestive system. So that's as much as I'm saying. And, <laughs> and it's called, and then mom calls. I don't even know how I got on that, but it's using what we know and right. little things in life and people do influence us. It's totally, it's totally true. And, uh, uh, I have a friend, a very close friend, who who knew her, and I have an ex-wife, and and he said, um, he said, oh man, that's a lot like X, and I'm like, no, I didn't write it like X. He says, well, it reads like X, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> but shit. you just do what you do, right? You you what? I'm sorry, I missed that. I said, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the oh shit moment because you're like, because I don't really want to talk to that person ever again, so I don't want to give her any reason to be mad at me. But I, if if I did it, it was mostly subconsciously. Uh, you know, but uh, I will admit there is a character that's kind of similar that I, I realize now I probably did put a little bit in there, but uh, uh, but not enough to get sued, I don't think, knock on wood. I I think that, uh, yeah, I, if they tried to sue me, I'd say, well, you know, these first get me a movie deal and then you can sue me and I'd actually have some money out of these books and then there you yeah. go. But I think it's it's I think that writers, I think the poets, I think that I think that, even you know, talking about actors, tell me, you tell me about this. You're an actor. Tell me this. Doesn't your brain, just in your daily interactions with people, file away tics, mannerisms, ways of speaking? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because you need it in your arsenal of acting. If someone says, oh, you have to play this really bitchy person, I'm going to think of someone that I know that's bitchy. I had to do voiceover and I needed a voice. You need to have like five different voices. And honestly, I, I only have like three. I'm still working on two more. But I, my niece, when she was younger, she sounded like the exasperated child. Every time she would talk to you, she would go, and then, and then I went and I did this, and then I went and did that. And she was so exasperated. It's like she couldn't catch her breath enough. So that's one of my characters. You know, when I have to do a voiceover, someone was an exasperated child. That's mine. I think when I spoke with you in our first interview, I think I, I think I saw like three of you, though. And they may not be separate voices you would use as voiceover, but I saw three aspects of your personality, I think. You know, there's the very warm, funny person you're being right this second. But I like when you were recanting, uh, not recanting, recounting stories of, of when you were in Hollywood, stuff in Hollywood, there was another you, a different face and a different, just a slightly different timbre to your voice. Yes. And then there was just, then there was this other side of you. Oh, maybe I shouldn't give this away, but you, we, I had mentioned something that was related to where you were born and your whole affect changed completely. And I was noting all of that. It was really, wow, you're very good at that. <laughs> well, I just pay attention. You know, I, I acted too. I wasn't that great, but I, I, I pay attention and I, what I'm filing it away for, of course, is, you know, for books and stuff, but, right. um, but I, I, and I think it's also interesting when you run across animated, interesting people who who have like seasons to their moods, if that makes sense. And you were like like three seasons in like one hour. It was really interesting. Oh, yeah. I remember one of the big things that when you you made up this story about going down this place and going down that place and then this happens and it goes, what would you write with then? I go, oh, it's like Alice in Wonderland. <laughs> boom. Yeah, when I had the dream, right? I was telling you about yes. the dream. Yes. Yes. Boom. Yes. It's totally true. There's so, yeah. there's so much in life 
that affects your soul and your essence and all of that, that, that you can write into, it's just majorly great material for a book, for a story, for a poem. And it's such a great release to be able to use that information and let it out and, and share it, share it with the world, you know? And yes, there's going to be people that are not there because they got their own stories that block them from being able to go to a different area. And not that it's bad, but it just means they're in a different place. So as a writer and an actor, I have to not take it personally anymore. Because God, if you take it personally, as much as you're rejected in acting, you're going to be a mess. Yeah, you're not going to leave the house. No, it's funny. I think we talked about this last time, but I'll, I'll just repeat this. I've had friends pick, you know, like we made new friends a few years ago. And, and uh, I know one of them bought my first book and posted on 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 Insta a picture of her reading it. And I was so touched. And then she never said another word about it. I don't think she finished it. I don't think she liked it. And I was like, I was kind of hurt by that. And then I realized, you know, that this is not completely original to me, but it, your, your work is not for everybody. It's not for everyone. And that's okay. I, I think I think if you made me, you know, tied me to a chair, you know, a Clockwork Orange style and made me watch Downton Abbey, I don't think I, I that's the only way I'd probably watch it. Not because I have any problem with, with period dramas and drawing room dramas and that kind of thing. I, I'm just not in that place in my life where that interests me right now. And that's okay. But there's some people tell me flat out, I don't like mysteries. I don't like genre. I like Blah. I've got a friend, and I mean, if NPR doesn't tell her to read it, or the New York Times bestseller list doesn't tell her to read it, she won't read it. That's she's that person. You know what I mean? She's she's got to talk about the it book, and and I, which is sad for us genre writers who are not going to get covered by NPR. And then also, the, a lot of that is is backed up by huge publishers that pay for that. They pay. Oh, yeah. You know, they'll take out a huge ad on radio or TV, and. If they take out a huge ad or print ad, that means that they say, okay, now you'll guarantee me an interview because I took out an ad. Yeah, and, and they will never admit to that, but it, it happens all the time. Yeah, well, I've worked in journalism. Like, I've worked yeah. in magazines and TV and radio, and that was like the thing. You just Same. So you can't go by that. All they do is they buy a, thousands of dollars worth of advertising, and then they say, okay, now you have to give me the interview for the author or the movie or whatever that has to deal with that because you just bought their advertising and media relies on advertising or they don't survive. So I totally understand the marketing part of it. But at the same time, you can't rely on that. I love to discover people that no one knows about. Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's like, that's like, you know, I've always been a little bit on the underground or um, the underdog. The underdog, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I always like, yeah. but people, yeah, you know, like even bad advertising is true that it's good because if they really slander an, a writer, then I'm more curious to read why they're slandering it. Oh, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, so well, that's, they just yeah. sold me the book, you know, um, <laughs> so they it, that has to happen. I, I once saw a movie and I'm not going to say which movie it is, but the press just tore this film apart saying this one person ruined the entire film. And my friend and I were like, how could one person ruin an entire film? Come on, you know, you, you can't. I saw the film and they were right. <laughs> but you bought a ticket. I bought a ticket and I saw it and I, uh, my friend and I did. And then we like looked at each other, got out and we go, wow, one person can really ruin a film. <laughs> oh, I can think of several like that. I can think of several. Yeah, yeah, and it happens. And no, I'm with you on that. I uh, also like you see one that just to beat this dead horse a little bit more is 
I'm like, well, CBS owns Simon & Schuster. So any author in Simon, Simon & Schuster's stable of any stature is going to get interviewed on the morning show or 60 Minutes or something like that. So, you know, I think a lot of people aren't, I don't mean this in a bad way, but aren't sophisticated about how these things work. And so the general public is just like, oh, okay. Yeah, but that doesn't mean, by the way, also that I don't want to like say, well, if you're, if you're, you know, if you're on the New York Times bestseller list, you're, I mean, you're obviously probably a pretty good book if you're on oh, there. Well, but, yeah, you don't get on there just being bad. Yeah, yeah. All the publicity in the world is not going to make you a good writer. So. Well, there, there, there's exceptions, of course, Fifty Shades of Grey and <laughs> Twilight. Well, that was became that's that's more, that's more like a cult classic. It really is. I don't know. Yeah, I, I did not get I, into that. Did you read any of it? I read some of it and I'm like, it's just not for me. I, yeah, you know, see? I don't my sister loved them. She just she read all these books like in one sitting. I'm like, they're like 300 pages a piece. <laughs> yeah. And, and some of it, they got clothes on. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch the movies either. I, I didn't know. No, you know, it's it's not to say just because people don't watch something or read something, it's not to say that it's bad. It's just not right. their style. There's a lot of amazing movies and TV shows out there that I just, I'm not interested in the plots. I'm not interested in the storylines. Yeah. I have to be in the mood. Um, one of the things I do as an actor is we get sent the DVDs or we get passes for streaming them online so that we can vote for the SAG Awards. Hmm. And some of them I'm like, okay, I, I really need to watch this so I could vote, but I know it's not my style and it's going to be really violent. I'll watch the first half hour of it because all the characters in the storyline is introduced in the first half hour. And it sometimes it catches me. I end up seeing the entire film, but hmm. It's sometimes I just I, I can't I can't do any more than this, but I can see how well they act. And there's you know, when you're nominated for something like that, you have to normally be there. I haven't seen anybody that was nominated that was bad. You know, they you have to be exceptional. Yeah. There's just everybody's got an opinion, too. Like there, there are certain actors I won't name, of course, because they could be friends of yours. I don't know um, <laughs> who I just I find unappealing and I, I don't think they're particularly good at acting. But that, who am I? That's just my personal opinion, you know. Who cares? Um, but the good news is, writers who are listening, is mm -hmm. there is probably somebody, or more than more than a few somebodies, who, if you write well at all, are going to like your stuff if they find it. And that's the good news, you know. Yeah. What I see, I mean, unless you're writing a textbook or you know you're doing a documentary, and even those, I end up watching a lot of those because I figure I can use that. I could use that information. But you're not always going to be liked. And, yeah. and people just want to go on a ride. They want to forget about their day and go into a fantasy line, you know, something that's a fantasy that could take their mind away from everyday life. And so it fills the soul, not only as a writer, but as a, as a listener and a reader. If yeah. there's something that just calms you for that little bit of time or gives you that aha moment, yes. you know, sometimes I'm reading a book and I'm like, ah, I've never looked at something in that perspective. This is really good. I I, I love it when I'm reading and I want to underline a passage. I mean, that when you just go, oh, my God, how did they write that? Where did that come from? I've interviewed so many authors on Mysterious Goings On, and some of them I'm in awe of because they can just, I found those, those wonderful moments there. Um, and by the way, you're no slouch in that department either with your books. And, um, but, and you, you, you know, I don't, I, I don't, I don't make, I don't make notes in my books very often because I don't like to deface a book. I feel like it's really not defacing it, but I just, so I just put sticky notes on, on pages and then I transcribe those to other things sometimes. But, but, uh, 
when you find when you find those moments, when you find those ahas, and when and particularly if it's a, an artist you who doesn't have a big following, but you're you're it's like you're in on this secret that nobody knows about, which is kind of cool. Yeah, I do. It's and people some people get they have such a great storyline, and then they don't. It it just falls so short, and that's where I think the editor is so important. You know, like I'm currently looking for an editor. Mm. Um, yeah, someone that works with poetry and short stories that understands that some of my stuff has a cultural influence, mm-hmm. Puerto Rican heritage. And you know, I might use something about the Caribbean as an mm. idea, or I might use, you know, there's a lot of voodoo or hoodoo and stuff like that in the Caribbean. So there's little nuances of my culture that weave in, t- in between. And so you need someone that sometimes understands that. And that's what I'm kind of looking for right now. It's a tough find on. I don't I don't even know editors who do poetry, to be honest with you. I, uh, They're hard to find. Uh, yeah, apparently. Uh, so if yeah. listeners, help sign you out if you know a really good <laughs> poetry editor. Um, yeah, my editor, like if I showed up with poetry, he'd be like, uh, go back. You're, you're going down the wrong street, you know? Um, but I get that. I, uh, I think that's one thing too, just to mention to, to writers who might be listening is I think self-publishing is great. I think independent writers are actually doing a lot of great stuff that you're not necessarily seeing in the mainstream. But I always, I always just say this, please get a good editor to, to make sure, because it's like you said, I'll just relate this to you. Before I got my current editor, I was starting to, I think in my series, really starting to repeat myself. And, you know, some people say, well, that's that's what you, Agatha Christie, that's Sherlock Holmes. They, there's there's all these things that they kind of repeated themselves every time. It was all these stories. It was this story beat, this story beat, this story beat, and you're done. But I didn't want to do that. And I was in that rut. And that's why my new, new he's not new anymore. My gosh, he's edited the last uh, six books, but he he, he started saying, have you thought about this? Or my last book, where I said, I, I think I'm done. And he says, no, actually, you've just breathed new life in this whole series. He says, you can keep going because now we have this new villain. And I'm all like, I mean, it was nice to hear, but also it was not nice to hear because I kind of thought I was done with the series. <laughs> it's like, damn. <laughs> damn. But I am taking a break after this one, Sonia. I am. I'm going to write something else. I'm, I'm, I like, I wrote a did in a competition i wrote a, a horror short story that won first place in a wattpad thing and i like writing horror and those kinds of suspense things but not not gore horror not like that necessarily but just paranormal horror and stuff like that so i want to i want to put john pilot aside after this latest book comes out which by the way it'll come out in october um i want to put him aside and write this horror novel that i've been meaning to write i really want to well that's where your passion is going now and that's what I think. We got to follow our passion. We got to follow our soul because you don't want to get to the point where you're beating a dead horse. Oh, yeah. 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 Because I've seen that. I've seen that with films. I've seen that oh, yeah. with books. It's like, oh, my God, this it's dead. They should have not written that. And that's why you see a lot of like really famous TV shows. They stop at the high note because they know they really don't have that much more in them. And they Breaking rather Bad, stop. Right. Breaking Bad quit at the right time, I think. Yeah, friends quit at the right time, and they were on forever. I think MASH went on a few years too long. Yeah, and I think Big Bang also cut at a good point. They cut at the number one. Right. And there's so many uh, dramas that have, you know, they they just really cut at a high note. And you want more, so you could come back later. And, I, you know, I was hitting a lot of sitcoms, but because I like watching sitcoms, they make me laugh. 
I want to laugh when I watch TV or I want to like think, but not have my stomach feel like it's a nuts because I just saw like the worst thing ever. I have a friend. I just wanted when you were talking, she's a dramaturge and mm. oh, she has Oscar winners, award-winning playwrights, and she can look at a story and tweak it no matter how good it is. And oh, it's wow. like, how, how does she even find something to, to, to change, to tweak? I mean, she just is, got, she's magical that way. So I always try, but she's very busy. So I always try to get my stuff to her. She doesn't do poetry. She says she has right. no mind for poetry. Right. But for my short stories, you know, I always want to put it past her because she can see a story, what works and what doesn't. And she'll just tell you, and she doesn't tell you how to write. She just tells you what she sees. She sees, she helps you identify that great hook or whatever it is that your story needs to, exactly. oh man, those people, gosh, got way oh, worth their weight in platinum. Yes, really are. And um, her name is Sheree. She, I love her. A very good friend of mine, but she just happens to be amazing with that. Oh, that's fantastic. That's good to have. That's really good. So, Alex. What do you have in closing to help writers or anything you want to share with the audience? Oh, boy. This is how original I am. Huh? I'll <laughs> just tell you. It's, it's probably something that you've heard a million times, but it happens to have the virtue of truth, which is, you've, you've already said it and alluded to it several times. Write what you're into. Write what makes you happy. Write, write what fills you up. There are, I can guarantee you there's, there's literally millions of people out there who, who need the same same thing that you're producing. They, they, they'll want that. The trick, of course, is not, you know, as they said, just to change this thing. It's not freedom of speech. It's freedom of reach. The, tr the, the problem is just do, do we have the reach to get it to those people? I like to believe that if we do a good job, eventually we're going to reach an audience. You know, like I have a small audience for my books. I'd love it to be bigger. I'm working on that. I know being on this show, my, my sales are going to go through the roof. Thank you, Sonia. I appreciate this. God willing. So much. <laughs> and you're I'm not so religious. <laughs> and I'm not religious. But I would just say, do what fills you up. Don't get frustrated. Um, I, I have so many uh, first-time writers who are even, not first-time, but maybe who've been doing it for a while who get just frustrated and they start seeing, or they start seeing stuff that gets produced. Let's say books that get turned into films or whatever. And they're like, well, that's like my, my story. And it's no wonder my story doesn't get published and all that. And that may be, there may be similarities. There may be some truth to it, but you're going to get wound up around your own axle doing that. Um, for one thing, you can't change it, right? Okay. Right. Um, this, the second thing is, um, it's probably not as close to what you're doing as you think it is. It just seems that way. But I just tell people, do what fills you up. Keep going. It's okay to pause. It's okay to do something new. I love how you switch from poetry to short stories, and you're, you're also thinking cinematically. Um, I'm going to take a good little, I'm going to take a quick break when I'm done with this last book. And I'm going to maybe do a short story as a palate cleanser, and then I'm going to dive into the horror novel. That's my plan for the rest of this year. Um, it's okay to do those kinds of things. So I long answer, sorry, uh, ramble on here, Alex, but uh, just do what fills you up. And surround yourself with people like Sonia who are positive and loving and kind and funny and um, who uplift you with their work. That's, that's what I think that they should do. Oh, thank you. And I'm going to add something to what you just said, that you have to do what is within you. One of the things we're taught in acting is that a bunch of people are given the same sides. And for those of you that don't know what sides are, sides are where they take out a part of the script for the actor to perform. And it's your lines. Nobody can do the role like you. 
So don't come in just reading the lines because we're all individuals. We all have, we all can be storytellers. We just have to pull the story out of us. That's of our essence and of our knowledge because nobody else is going to have that. So you're very unique in that way, even though the premise might not be unique, the way you tell it is unique. I took like five minutes and you did that like in 25 seconds. I, I, <laughs> I am in awe. Thank you. Well, so that's cool. what they tell us actors to do. So it's like I've, it's been hit over, I've been hit over the head with it for 30 years, you know, but it's true. You're the only one that can do it like you. So yeah. be you. And you do, like you said, you have to get it out there for people to see. So you have to do some kind of marketing because no one's going to read your story if they don't know about it. You don't know right. what you don't know. Yeah. So, and now how can they reach you? Because I I started rambling there. <laughs> I finally, I, I got it. I, I oh, pulled oh. you into my web. I made you do what I do. <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, I have a couple of podcasts, uh, Mysterious Goings On, probably the one that is closer analog to our audience here today. I have another one called PR After Hours. I'm a public relations guy by day. That's kind of my Clark Kent role. Um, my writing is the, I like to think of as the superhero type with the cape. But Mysterious Goings On, um, you can go to that website, mgopod.com. And when you go there, there's all the stuff about the, um, about the show. But if you're intrigued at all about my books, you can keep scrolling down when you get there. And you can order direct from me, autographed paperbacks, or you can just go to Amazon.com if you're interested in reading, and maybe for your Kindle or something, and get the John Pilot series. Just, just I don't know if Sonia, if you do links or not, but if you don't do, if Sonia doesn't do, no, it, I do links. Go... So whatever links oh, okay. you want, you give me, I will. Can I, there. can I shoot you some links? How about we do that? And you uh... can shoot me some links because I think it would be really interesting. I think people would want to read your books and see how you have that thread line, and especially the short story at the end. That's a really interesting way of doing that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. I will. So uh, look in your show notes and if Sonia uh, gets them from me and gets a minute to put them in there, you can just click the links and you can do that. And, I, and I, I'll just just close by saying um, that's one thing, too, is that all authors need to make sure you have a little place online where people can find you, you know, not just at Amazon, because there's some people who will not buy from Amazon because they like their independent bookstore. Yes. But the problem with your independent bookstore, guess what? They're usually small and can't afford to put every indie writer's or any, every writer's book on the shelf. So Amazon's a necessary evil. So again, uh, mgopod.com, and uh, there's another link. I'll give Sonia a link. I think I'll, you know what I'll do, so I'll just give you a link to my uh, author link on, on Amazon there. And if you click that, it's every book I wrote, including my nonfiction stuff. I just wrote a book on podcasting called The Podcast Option, which you can oh, get there as well. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love having you on the show. You are one of my favorite people. Blessings, and until we meet again. Thank you for listening to the Poetic Resurrection Podcast. Please visit us and subscribe to our newsletter at PoeticResurrection.com for the latest information and updates.